I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kind of Cute, and if you're new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Y'all, I've had a day, like, it started out, it started out good, I had a cup of coffee, I did a little Peloton ride with Cody Rigsby, and then I was making myself a good-ass breakfast, if I do say so myself, and wishing my grandma happy birthday. It's her 75th birthday. I was on the phone with her. She's like, how are my grand dogs doing? I was like, they're doing great. I look outside. The gate's open. The dogs are nowhere to be seen. I am in a robe with my hair up in one of my little, you know, twisty towel things. I say, oh shit, drop the phone, run out the door. At first, don't see them anywhere. I'm like looking all over Finally, I spot them down the street. I run. I somehow get both of them, both the dogs, come back, get them inside, promptly step in their shit that they had shot on the runner in my kitchen. So just just I love them. You know, they're so great. They've been doing this a lot lately and it strikes such fear in my heart. And it's like it takes me a while to come down from it. Um, I literally like had to take a nap. (laughs) So anyways, I'm sorry. This is a little late today. Uh, I first have to mention, you know, last week we were talking about uh, things Lala can't can't drive or can't drive, can't live without. And she had the Mario Badescu drying lotion on there. The one that we all know. It's like the pink looks like calamine lotion almost. Well, I'm starting to think there's some like Mario Badescu conspiracy going on where they are like doing shady influencer marketing because Brooks Marks, who is the son of Meredith Marks on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, he did one of these as well. And he also had Mario Badescu drying lotion on there. And he says that his skin has always been one of his biggest insecurities. And he is just hyping up this shit. He says he's been using it since he was 14 or 15. Um, He... He says it's a lifesaver. I I just, I don't get it. And I have to say that on the show, Brooks has the most flawless skin. (laughs) Like I said, Lala looks really good too. So I'm like, do I need to get back on this train? I just think that, I don't know, man. Like for me, Mario Badescu products are not where it's at anymore in my 30s. Speaking of reality stars, I have been loving Spencer Pratt on TikTok. I have been a big Spencer Pratt fan for a while now because he was killing it on Snapchat back when, like literally before Instagram stories became a thing, I would watch him all the time on Snapchat and they were so fun. He like has all these little pet hummingbirds. They're not technically pets. They're just hummingbirds that he feeds. And he still loves crystals. And I just think he's so funny. And I, I know I've said it on here before that he just like gets the whole reality TV world on a level that I don't think a lot of people can conceptualize. And I think he's actually really smart. I'm not saying he's like the perfect guy, but I think there's something to be said that him and Heidi are still together all these years later after The Hills. So the Hills reboot just did not get renewed. Um, and due to that, he has just go been going scorched earth on TikTok and literally talking shit about all the producers, all the shady shit they did on the show. He's just revealing it on his TikTok. And I mean, so much of it's interesting. He talks about techniques they use in reality TV that if you've watched enough, you've probably picked up on it. But it's interesting 
showing like exact scenes where it's done. I was watching one the other day where he was talking about frankenbiting, which is this concept where the example he was showing, Audrina's having a phone call with someone and Spencer's having a phone call with Heidi. But in the show, they splice it and frankenbite the audio bits together to make it look like Audrina and Spencer are having a conversation on the phone. And there's another interesting one where he says it was a whole setup by the producers to have Heidi have like a pregnancy scare. And I actually heard him talking about it on a podcast as well. And he was like, no, Heidi was so on top of her birth control. Like she had never had a pregnancy scare. She to this day has never had a pregnancy scare. And like that was all of them just trying to cause drama. And I remember the scene vividly because as she's telling him this, Spencer does this weird smirk and it's so uncomfortable feeling and he revealed on his TikTok that the reason he was smiling is because he was laughing at Heidi's acting abilities <laughs> and it actually makes so much sense. So if you like like a little behind the scenes glimpse into stuff like that, a little breaking the fourth wall, I highly recommend like if you don't have a TikTok yet, a what are you doing? Follow me on TikTok at Bailey Evan and it's it's a time suck like it is by far my most addicting social media outlet right now, but it's fun and I recommend giving Spencer a follow. I watched Shonda Rhimes Arch- Architectural Digest tour this week and what it really highlights me is what I was talking about when I talked about Gwen, Gwyneth Paltrow's house and kind of saying how I felt like it just lacked a lot of personality and point of view. And I felt like Shonda's has so much point of view. You can tell she like really cares about the art she has in her house. It actually feels like kind of being on the set of Bridgerton. Like it's very kind of this like ethereal, lots of like pastels. It was really giving me Bridgerton vibes um and I just thought it looked like a place like she was talking about how she's an introvert but she's like really got into actually having dinner parties and again you know I like to put my manifestations on here she's a fellow Dartmouth gal I'm ready Shonda I'm ready to come over for a dinner party I don't have much to offer but I think we could have a good time um she talked about where she writes by this little like orange tree that's in her house and it's faux I think I think it actually looked like a little kumquat tree, but she calls it an orange tree. I just, again, I just thought it was such a striking difference with Gwyneth. It wasn't necessarily my style. Like style wise, I probably feel more at home and at ease in Gwyneth's house. But Shonda's, again, I love that it was in the city and it was just like bringing this whole different vibe than what you normally see in the New York City apartments. I just, I liked it. I liked it. I watch it. I just think she's such a vibe and I really want to hang out with Shonda. Even if I... I have my reservations about the um, Inventing Anna TV show. I actually just like haven't got through it yet. Like it wasn't very binge worthy feeling to me. And I think it's because I was so into the Anna Delvey story because it was a cut story. And interestingly enough, it was written by Jessica Pressler. And Jessica Pressler wrote literally my favorite cut story of all times. Like one of my favorite journalistic pieces of all time called The Hustler at Scores. And it's what Hustlers, the movie's based on. So it's crazy that she had, you know, Hustlers and then now Inventing Anna off of articles that she's done. And I, I love her writing and I love those articles. I think she's just um, her, her style of journalism is fascinating to read. But I just felt like, I don't know, there's things in the show that aren't like translating to me. 
and I know I'm also in the minority that I'm not like a huge Bridgerton fan, but I've said it a million times. Sean is my girl. She can do no wrong. Um, go off. And I think a lot of people love the way she's told the story of Anna. I just feel like I wanted Anna to be shat on a little more and I wanted more of an insight into how she like really tricked all these rich people. Like I know that's what the show is about, but I wanted to understand more like what these people saw in her. And she just seems like a bitch. Like I, I don't, I don't get it. I'm like, damn, do I just need to be bitchier? Is that the key? Like, is that how I get invited to Shonda's glamorous New York City apartment? Speaking of Netflix shows, let's get into our first article of the day. It's Pamela Anderson will tell the real story in a new Netflix doc. This article is by Mia Mercado. So on Wednesday, Pam Anderson posted a little as Mia writes, poem, question mark, handwritten on a piece of paper, and it was on Netflix letterhead. And it says, my life, a thousand imperfections, a million misperceptions, wicked, wild, and lost, nothing to live up to. I can only surprise you, not a victim, but a survivor and alive to tell the real story. So shortly after that, Netflix confirmed that they're doing a project with Pam and they tweeted that she will be, quote, setting the record straight as she looks back on her professional path and her personal journey. So we don't know the name of this documentary yet, but apparently it's going to feature interviews with Pam as well as excerpts from her personal journals, which is maybe why they kind of did this lead in with the handwritten note. We don't know exactly when the release date is, but Variety says that her son Brandon Lee is a producer on the project and Ryan White, who actually did the Netflix documentary series The Keepers, is its director. And I thought The Keepers was one of the craziest documentary series I've ever watched. And I felt like I kind of heard some buzz about it right when it came out. But then since then, haven't heard a lot about it. It's about this Catholic school and the murder of this nun and just... It goes into a lot of the cover-ups that the Catholic Church does with all their sexual abuse. It is an insane series. Like, if you haven't watched it yet, it's hard to stomach, but it is so well done. And your jaw is just going to be on the floor the entire time. And I think it's hilarious that Brandon Lee is the producer on this because this feels very full circle because I was just talking about Spencer Pratt. So I know I've told this story on here before, but I don't know if I told the whole thing because it makes me cringe so much, like the story with Brandon. (laughs) So I went to this taping of like an after show for the very first episode of The Hills Reboot. And I was devastated because Spencer and Heidi were not there. They like zoomed in Um, and they're, they're my favorites. So I was sad not to see them. But I somehow like got sat front row for this thing, literally to the point where like people were messaging me being like, is this you? Like, I didn't think anyone would watch this. And I don't think a lot of people did. Like no one watched the Hills reboot. But I think because it was the first episode, some people did watch that. They saw me. And so after or like when we were lining up to go inside, the casting director was asking people in the line, like how many people were real fans? And... (laughs) I was like, I'm a real fan. And she's like, are you serious? Are you just saying that? I'm like, no, no, like I'm a huge The Hills fan. Like I grew up on it because I felt like I was older than a lot of the people there. So I felt like most of the people who were at this casting thing weren't watching The Hills when it came out real time because this was like on a work day. I just happened to be in New York. I was I was there for some other reason. Oh, it was when I was going to the premiere of the that movie premiere for The Men in Black. Um So I had a day off work and I just felt everyone else there was like, yeah, like college kids who had, you know, not traditional nine to five schedules. 
Anyways, so she pulls me out of line at the end and she's like, okay. And I, she won't tell me like what I'm being, like what event I'm being put into. And she's like, all of these, like all of you guys are doing different things, but you're all going to like it. Like they're going to be really fun. So she takes me and two other people and she's like, okay, we have to go up to the top floor. And she puts us in a an elevator but at first it's just me in the elevator just me and I walk in and it's Brody Jenner and his at the time um pseudo wife I don't know if they were officially married her name is Caitlin and I am so starstruck and I still don't know that like at this point that this is part of what I'm signed up to do basically I'm sorry, I'm just like cringing thinking of it. So I'm just literally making small talk to them on the elevator because I'm the first one on. There's no, no one else who has been pulled aside is on the elevator yet. And then we stop along the way and we pick up the other people who have been pulled out of line. And at this point, I'm sort of starting to catch on. Like I look up and I realize there's cameras in the elevator and I'm like, oh, like this, we're being filmed. And people, other people get on, like Whitney Port gets on, Brandon Lee gets on, who's Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's uh, son and he's in the reboot and then Natasha Bedingfield gets on and we sing the theme song to the hills and there's a guy at this point now who has like a legit film camera and he tell he looks at me all of a sudden and mind I'm I'm still like not even processing what's going on because I have not been told that this elevator skit thing is what I signed up for. Like I am so caught off guard. (laughs) So, and I'm still starstruck from like being in an elevator with Brody Jenner, who I think is like the most beautiful man on earth. So, (laughs) so he looks at me, the, the cameraman and he's our producer. I don't even fucking know. And he's like, ask them something. So Brandon Lee is standing right beside me and I go, are you going to have a love storyline this season? Like, I literally, I, I'm not prepared for this, guys. Like, it was a, a lack in my journalistic integrity at this time. <laughs> a lapse, I mean. Um, and he's just so awked out. And then the guy makes me ask him again. And then at this point, like, Brody's, like, n- elbowing him in the side like yeah like you're single man you're gonna have a love and like oh we got a so like got girls on this elevator I'm I'm mortified like mortified and he looks like he wants to die and he's like he, he's looking at me like no like this chick hell to the no <laughs> um so yeah it was very cringe but it was very surreal singing the hills theme song with uh Natasha Bedingfield you know the one it's like Feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. Only you can let it in. Unwritten. It's called unwritten. I don't know why that wasn't coming to me. (laughs) I apologize. That was also some cringe singing on my part, but I just had to give you the full experience. Um, Yeah, to this day, like one of the craziest things, but I still can't believe like how stunning Brody Jenner is in real life. Like he's just unreal looking. I know he's probably just like a huge douche, but he has a perfect face. And I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million times. I, I don't think I've ever seen a more beautiful man. And I know for a fact I've never seen a more beautiful man in person. Anyways, I just thought that was funny. Talking about Pam and Brandon Lee being her son and Spencer Pratt. Like, you know, just get into all of it, basically. I am only one episode into Pam and Tommy on Hulu. 
I actually really liked the first episode so far. And it definitely makes you feel, even just in the first episode for Pam. So I am glad that she's getting the chance to tell the story from her side because this show, as far as I can tell, was unauthorized. It wasn't, I think it even said in this article that Pam hasn't watched, watched it, like had no input in it, yada, yada. So I... I just think any time when a woman's sexuality is kind of used against her and without her permission, like that is one of the most disgusting things you can do to someone. Oh, and speaking of that show, so that stars Sebastian Stan and Lily James. And I last night watched this new Hulu movie. It's called Fresh and it stars Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan. It is fucking weird my sister this today she's like i literally had nightmares about that movie last night it is grotesque but i thought it was well done and it's definitely sort of this metaphor for online dating and i kind of saw some of the directions it was going with a twist like i very early on i made a call that is basically what it ends up being with like you know there again there's some twists that you probably won't see coming but it was well done and it has uh, a female writer and director and I just thought the lens that they did it through. It's not the thing you want to watch when you're debating whether you ever want to go on a date from a dating app. I feel like between that and Promising Young Woman and just like <laughs> all of these other shows, um, it, it makes online dating as terrifying as I think it is. <laughs> Like, it's doing nothing to put me in a good headspace about it. But I do think it's worth a watch if you like, like, a horror thriller, if you're okay with a little bit of gore. Um, I don't know how anyone eats meat after watching it. Again, I'm a pescatarian. Maybe after this, you will come over to my side. Let me know. (laughs) All right. Next article. Melinda French Gates calls out Bill's ties to Epstein. This is also by Mia Mercado. So Melinda French Gates is Bill Gates' ex-wife now. They got a divorce. I'm pretty sure it's been finalized at this point. Um, She recently did an interview with Gail King. Love Gail King. She can do no wrong in an interview. I think she's so good. She's she's on Oprah level. Like, they're besties. She she knows how to get a good story out. Uh, And during the interview, Melinda talks with Gail about why her and Bill Gates ended up ending their marriage. And she says, it's not one thing, it was many things. But I do not like that he had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein. No, I made that clear to him. So the article says Bill Gates had a working relationship with Epstein, but I think there's been a lot of suspicion that maybe it was a little more than a working relationship if you catch my drift. It says that Bill Gates reportedly received business and relationship advice from the convicted convicted sex offender. Yeah, obviously, Epstein, great dude to get relationship advice from, clearly. Uh, It says that Bill Gates has since tried to minimize their relationship, but he did say in a statement to CBS News, quote, meeting with Epstein was a mistake that I regret deeply. It was a substantial error in judgment. But this is the part I found really interesting. So Melinda says that she met with Epstein once and, quote, regretted it instantly. He was aberrant. He was evil personified. I had nightmares about it afterwards, she said, though she didn't give details on the interaction. When pressed about why Gates continued to meet with Epstein after her reaction to meeting him, Melinda said questions about Bill's relationship with Epstein are for Bill to answer. However, she added, I made it very clear how I felt about him. 
oh, that literally made my skin crawl. I mean, everything about Epstein does, but I do think there's people when you meet them, it's like they have a black aura. Like you just know there is not (laughs) maybe even a shred of goodness in them. And I don't, I think that's rare. I think most people do have good in them, but I think there's people like Epstein that just the fact that you're willing to, you know, be friendly with them in any way I think that speaks to your person and so I I think Bill was more in this than she's letting on and he's never going to let on to it obviously he's always going to deny it I feel like very convenient that you know Jeffrey's dead now and can't rat out all these people um so then Gail asked how infidelity impacted their marriage because Bill admitted to having an affair with a Microsoft employee in 2000. And she says, I thought we had worked through some of that. There just came a point in time where there was enough there that I realized it just wasn't healthy and I couldn't trust what we had. And when asked if he had more than one affair, she said, that's a question that Bill needs to answer. This is why I'm just convinced that, again, this is just an opinion, I think for sure Bill was getting some, uh, what's the right way to put it, inappropriate sexual favors by way of Epstein, Um, if I didn't, (laughs) if I wasn't clear enough earlier in that. All right, our next article is, Dumas Made Me Eat It, How a Celebrity Stalking Instagram Account Changed Dining Out in NYC by Gabrielle Bluestone. I talked about this a little bit on my TikTok, um... But I liked the theory behind this article, and it talks about how back in the day, uh, page six kind of was the beginning of keeping us updated about celebrities that started in the late 70s. And then in the mid-aughts, we had Gawker Stalker, which actually caused a lot of problems and kind of like issues with ethics and morality around celebrities because it uh, was supposed to real-time show where celebrities have been spotted. So it was a little more intense than Dumois, which crowdsources celebrity sightings and, um, you know, says where people have seen celebrities eating, what they were ordering. A lot of times it takes pictures of celebrities. So it is also invasive, but in a slightly different way than Gawker <gasps> Stalker. Obviously, we talked about Dumois in here quite a lot. Um, and... Obviously, Dumas really came into itself during the pandemic. It started growing followers really rapidly in 2020. And each Sunday, they post the Sunday Spotted Roundup, where people discuss where they've seen certain celebrities the week before. So there's certain restaurants in New York City that are mainstays on the Sunday Spotted. Carbone is one. Uh, You'll see things like catch uh soho house you know there's certain ones that just pop up over and over and over again so the cut actually got an interview with dumois for this and it says she called from a restricted number but used her normal voice which is interesting because on her podcast she actually uses a voice distorter uh which is also weird to me because she has been a guest on podcasts in the past where she did not use a voice distorter who knows there's some theories that maybe she is like ownership of Dumas has changed I think it's the same girl all along um but what do I know 
So she's talking about Carbone and she says, good luck getting a reservation. I heard there was a secret email address, but I don't know if that's true. I even DM'd Mario Carbone. My followers are getting reservations and eating there. I just don't know how. Guys, the way how is you get on Resi this whatever number of days in advance you need to when the reservation line opens and then you make a reservation. That's how. (laughs) Either that or you're like a sports star and you have a booking agent who books your reservations for you that that is how (laughs) like it's not a big secret I swear and um I also like this quote from someone from the New Yorker it says call it the distributed property of hotness if Kendall Jenner and Bella Hadid go to Carbone and Rihanna and Aesop Rocky go to Carbone and then you and I manage to go to Carbone us we're just like stars and this is so true I've said this on here before it's there is this thrill in being like celebrity adjacent and doing things that celebrities do because the things you can do that are accessible and feel like you're kind of living that sort of elite lifestyle, there is something a little intoxicating about that. I'm not saying it's good to feel that way or that I should feel that way, but I do. I'm not going to lie about it. And again, I like appreciated how it talked about how this has evolved over the years because it says before Dumont it took a celeb being papped outside a restaurant or getting featured on a popular show like Sex and the City to result in that sort of celebrity gawking traffic for lack of a better word like when Carrie went to Pestis that was such a big deal it feels like Dumont has become a sort of niche version of that almost and I completely agree with that I remember like looking up the places Carrie went on Sex and the City, like Magnolia Bake Shop. I feel like Magnolia Bake Shop is still a thing because of Sex and the City. And I would look at these lists, um, like People Mag, literally, I would Google places celebrities eat in New York City. And I know I'm not the only one who's doing that because you could find a fair amount of articles. And just the psychology behind all of it, I find it so fascinating. And this part also tickled me because it says that Dumas, even she can't resist the power of a celebrity endorsement. She's still waiting for a chance to snag a reservation at Via Corota, where she's posted sightings of stars like Timothee Chalamet, John Mayer, B.J. Novak, Kiernan Shipka, Judd Apatow, Carrie Russell. <laughs> the list goes on and on. And I just don't get, again, how she hasn't been to Via Corota. And I'm sorry if you follow me on TikTok because I was talking about this on there too. But like, okay, if you want to go to Via Corota go on a weekday at lunch and just get there right when it opens. And again, or you can just plan out, if you know exactly the day you want to go, just plan out to make the reservation whatever amount of days ahead of time you need to. It just takes planning. Like, it doesn't take being anyone or having an in. Uh, oh, I will say it actually does also help to have an Amex because on Resi, sometimes they will have certain spots that they, like, hold for their Amex um, holders and... There's a Amex concierge where you can call and they can help you get a reservation. So that actually is another like tip. But anyone can have an Amex. You know, you, I'm not saying you need a black card. You just need a regular freaking Amex. Um, and then on top of that, I knew that Dumas had posted or I'm sorry, hosted this party with Studs, the earring company. And it was hosted with Leah McSweeney from Real Housewives of New York. Turns out Dumas couldn't even get into her own party because when she was at the door, she couldn't identify herself as Dumas. So they didn't let her in. Really, I just feel bad for Dumas because I'm like, girl, you got to start using your accolades to your benefit and get yourself into Via Carota because Via Carota is better than Carbone. And I know I've said on here before, but it's true. (laughs) And I think this all speaks to the bigger issue that 
really restaurants can use this as a total PR machine. They can make sure that celebrities are papped at their restaurants. They can send in themselves sightings of celebs at their restaurants. And just think of the power that has to get people through the door. So it's just crazy that as this goes on, it's really becoming like this Dumois industrial complex where it's, again, it's all tied up in everything with paparazzi culture and celebrity culture and PR. It's just part of the machine. And... I do think it's a little bit sad because I feel like in the beginning, Dumas was a little bit less that way and it's become very much so wrapped up in that because it's just inevitable. That's what's going to happen. Okay, so this is actually a BBC article, but I wanted to touch on it because I know we live in a time of just loving scams and I thought this one was really interesting and something I hadn't heard of before. And so the BBC did like a year-long journalistic investigation on this and they did an accompanying documentary, but I just read the article about it and it's called Jobfish, the con that tricked dozens into working for a fake design agency. It's by Leo Sands, Katrina Nye, Devia Talwar, and Benjamin Lister. And this story just had me pretty shook because I actually think, I don't know, it's just a type of scam I haven't heard of before. So what happened was there was this company called Madbird, and it was run by the boss called Ali Ayad. And he recruits all of these designers for this, what it seems to be a glamorous design agency. And there would be these Zoom calls. They would have 40 people on it. And a lot of these people were legitimate real people. But the twist is that about like half the people on the call were not real people. And they were just like literal catfish accounts. And some of these people would have email accounts. They would have LinkedIn profiles, but their names were made up. Their headshots belonged to completely different people. And the whole thing was fake. The whole design agency, everything. And so these real employees have been quote unquote job fished. And it follows some of the people who this happened to. And it happened at a time where people were at their most vulnerable because it was 2020, height of the pandemic, so many people have been laid off their jobs, lost their jobs, and were looking to take on other work. And they would find these really appealing ads saying, you know, this is a human-centered digital design agency born in London, running worldwide. It seemed really legit. And this company, Mabrit, they hired 50 people. And most of them worked in sales. And some were in design, some to supervise. But most of them were in sales. And these people would work insanely long hours. There was one guy who pitched Madbird to 10,000 possible business clients, hoping to get deals to redesign websites or build apps. And he was even given employee of the month. There was people in other countries who were working for this company. And this guy, Ali, the boss, he would give these really like inspirational talks on his zoom you know he had a instagram that had ninety thousand followers and i think a lot of people looked at that as sort of proof that oh this guy is legit he said he worked at nike and was like really up there on their creative team and he had a business partner allegedly called dave stanfield turns out this dude did not exist at all like he was literally just a picture that was pulled off like a stock website um 
people who worked there compared this guy to Tom Cruise. Ali would always compare himself to Steve Jobs, Elon Musk. He would talk about like, oh, Elon works 16 hours a day. I'm trying to do 17, which if I hear that, I'm sorry, I'm running the other way. Like that is not how I'm trying to live my life. Um, And I think like it just, again, it aired, gave an air of legitimacy to it all. So the way this like, kind of went down where all these people were working and they ultimately weren't getting paid is that they were they signed a contract where they agreed to work on a commission only basis for the first six months and it was only after they passed that probation period that they'd be put on a salary and the salary was about thirty five thousand dollar uh sorry thirty five thousand pounds which translates to roughly forty seven thousand dollars u.s dollars um and until then they would just end earn a percentage of every deal they negotiated so they are basically working on again a commission basis and because it was during the pandemic and they were all looking for work they kind of just felt like they had to accept the terms of the contract but ironically uh or not none of the deals were ever finalized so literally none of these people got paid a penny by february 2021 nothing And so it's really sad because some people got out after a few weeks, like they realized something was up, but there was people who were there for six months, like working full time and just not getting paid anything. And they kind of had this hope that like, oh, if I just like stay a little bit longer, maybe one of the deals I'm working on will come through and I'll finally get paid. So I think they felt like once they had a certain amount of time invested, they were like, well, I can't, you know, quit now. But then the girl who kind of uncovered this, her name was Gemma. She was 27 years old and she was a designer from West London. She had only been working at the company for about two weeks when she looked at like where the physical location of Madbur was because she figured, hey, eventually I might have to go back in the office. I want to know what my commute's going to be. So when she looked it up on Google Maps, she realized the building looked nothing like what they were showing on the map bird website it was literally just like this group of apartments flats in the kensington area in london and so she contacted a real estate agent and the agent confirmed that this area was just purely residential like there was no way there was actually a business there and talked to people in the building like none of them had seen this ali man so she was super sus she shared it with another person at the company and they started to kind of go deeper into what was going on and they started to realize like through online reverse image searches that basically all the work design work that Madbird was saying they did they had actually pulled it from other places on the internet and so they were like shit what do we do do we just like leave like not cause a stir about it or do we have to expose it and you know so that other people aren't subjected to this so they sent out an email from a made-up name from jane smith kind of elaborating on everything that went down and bringing it all to light and then it just became you know even crazier because all of the lies kind of started to unravel And at this point, it became really obvious that nothing Ali had said was true. Like he did not work for Nike. He said he worked for all these other companies. He didn't go to the universities he said he went to. There's even a photo on his Instagram that is meant to look like a ad of him in a Massimo Dutti ad in a GQ magazine. 
completely photoshopped. Like the girls investigating this went and got the magazine, opened up to the page this was on, and it's like a Hamilton watch ad. And actually the picture that he photoshopped, it looks so photoshopped and fake. But somehow this man was like convincing people online. Um, But also just like the level of psychosis you have to have to do this kind of stuff i'm continually shocked by how many people are like down to put this much effort into a scam we've seen it so much like obviously we have anna delvey we have the tinder swindler i'm just like if y'all put half the effort into just doing something meaningful (laughs) you could just probably do so much um so the bbc tried to like track down this guy because they realized people were when they were not getting paid, they were just putting all this credit on their or debt on their credit cards. And so many people were just like, my dreams were shattered. He, I've been played like a fool. So they really wanted to talk to him and see like what his motives were for doing this. And so the BBC was hyped because they thought they had convinced him to actually show up for an interview. And then last minute he bailed. So they literally confronted him on the street. And he said that, A couple of the points he was being accused of were true, but he wouldn't say which. But he said that the majority of the 24 separate points were absurd and incorrect. And he said he would respond more fully, but he never did. And they tried to kind of figure out, as in many of these situations, like why they were doing what they did beyond money. Because it was kind of confusing how he was really benefiting from a monetary standpoint, standpoint of this. So one theory is that it may have started out as a lie, but maybe Mad Bird would eventually start closing real deals and making money. And the company, much of the staff believed, was just days away from actually signing on clients, but that's when everything fell apart and everything was exposed. And the other explanation is that maybe Ali got a kick out of pretending to be a boss. He genuinely appeared to enjoy his time running Madbird. Job interviews with him often lasted more than an hour. He told stories about how he had turned people's lives around by spotting their talent and giving them a chance. The list goes on. So it could have just been this like insane power trip for him. But I don't know. I just thought that story was really weird and crazy. And now I want to see the documentary because... I mean, imagine just like thinking, letting people think they have an actual job and then making them do all this work and for a fake business and not paying them. It just, it blows my mind. Okay. I haven't done an, I think about this a lot in a long time. So I wanted to talk about how Cher and Tom Cruise dated. So this was actually an I Think About This A Lot article in The Cut back in 2018, and it talked about a 2014 interview on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. Cher was on there. They were playing a game called Truth or Cher, and Andy Cohen asked like where Tom Cruise fell in her list of lovers, and she said he was top five. And honestly, I didn't even know Tom Cruise and Cher had dated she was 38, he was 23, and they met at Madonna and Sean Penn's wedding. Like, everything about it just delights me. And so while I just learned about this, I can tell it's something that I now will be thinking about a lot, mainly because I'm just so glad that Cher escaped um, being a Scientology wife, girlfriend. I think Tom Cruise is so cuckoo and I'm so scared of Scientologists that like I don't even want to speak badly of him on here because I'm scared of them coming after me um but I think she got out while she could we love a May December relationship when 
the woman is older. I just think it's such a power move on her part and it really delights me. But it is a little weird looking at the pictures because he looks so young in the pictures. He also looks very pre um plastic surgery. Like looking at the picture of them together, I'm like, oh, he's got a lot of work done, I think. Like maybe he really just grew into his face, but do a little Google and tell tell me what you think. All right, guys, we have made it to our legit ship for the day, and it's actually a movie this week. I watched this movie with Kenzie earlier called I Want You Back. It's on Amazon Prime. It stars Jenny Slate, and I just think Jenny Slate is like the ultimate rom-com girl. I think she's so good at it, and it was just like a really cute, heartwarming movie, like very corny, but it was cute, right, Kenzie? Um, and I just really recommend it, so... Again, if you guys have anything you want to say to me, please reach out. You can find me at Bailey Evan on all my socials or at Kind of Cute Podcasts. Um, please rate and review on Apple. Please review on Spotify. It's so easy to review on Spotify. You just click a star. I would love a written review on Apple Podcasts if you're able to do that. And most of all, share it with a friend. Post it on your Instagram story. I will see you next week. Bye.